Four separate anonymous sources have told The Atlantic magazine that Donald Trump killed a man in Reno just to watch him die. Though some have protested that a story based entirely on anonymous sources is inherently not a work of journalism, The Atlantic says the four anonymous sources have been confirmed by three other anonymous sources, although some of them may be the same sources. It's hard to tell because they're anonymous. Never Trumper Bill Crystal, editor of the commentary website called The Remnant Behind the Bulwark Behind the Ramparts Amidst the Ruins of Bill Crystal's Credibility, says that while The Atlantic story should not have been published because it was completely without value, he absolutely believes every word of it because killing a man just to watch him die is exactly the sort of thing Donald Trump would do in Bill Crystal's imagination after Bill has had a couple of drinks while listening to his favorite Johnny Cash album. On Fox News, correspondent Jennifer Griffin says her anonymous sources confirm the anonymous sources who confirm the anonymous sources at The Atlantic, saying that while Trump has never been in Reno and never killed a man, the bulk of The Atlantic article was otherwise completely correct. Joe Biden immediately made a campaign stop in Reno where he faced a barrage of tough questions from an Atlantic reporter who asked, how bad is it that Trump killed a man in Reno to watch him die and aren't you a much nicer person? Biden answered that whatever they were talking about was very bad. And that's why he had come here wherever it was. Like the story about Trump saying there were good people among the white supremacists at Charlottesville and the story that Trump called American war heroes suckers, the story of Trump killing a man in Reno was immediately treated by the left as gospel truth in the sense that they don't believe the gospel either, but are willing to cite it if it gives them some political advantage. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. Life is tickety boo. Birds are winging, also singing. Hunky dunky doo. Ship shaped, tipsy topsy. The world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day. Hurrah, hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray! Oh, hooray, hurrah! All right, I hope you had a nice Labor Day weekend. It's been 110 here in California while the state burns down because of our poor environmental management. But that shouldn't stop you from going on the Andrew Clavin YouTube channel. We have 100,000 subscribers. We are trying to get up to 17 billion. So please uh, get on and subscribe right away. And if you leave a comment and it's really stupid, we will consider it to have elevated the conversation on this show and we will read it aloud. Today, Maria says, Clavin, I think I speak for all the women here as I implore you, please get an OnlyFans that consists only of you saying rock auto. See, guys, I'm telling you, if you want to win the hearts of beautiful women like Maria, you've got to be able to say rockauto.com. And I know she's beautiful because only beautiful women watch the show. I think that's, is that a rule we made or is that just something that happened? Not, I can't remember. Anyway, however, also, if you want to get a good night's sleep, you want a Helix mattress. Or if you're like me and you just want to lie awake in comfort, you want a Helix mattress all the same. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preference to the perfect mattress for you. Helix Sleep is rated the number one mattress by GQ and Wired, and CNN called it the most comfortable mattress they've ever slept on. It's, it's the most comfortable mattress I've ever slept on, more importantly. So just go to helixsleep.com slash Clavin, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they will match you to a customized mattress. I took this quiz, which is, you know, it's kind of fun in and of itself, and I was matched to the Helix Midnight Lux. I don't know what that means, except when I'm lying awake at night, is 
is extremely comfortable, and I get to lie there thinking, hey, this is a really comfortable way to be awake. Right now, Helix is offering up to 200 bucks off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash Clavin. Get up to $200 off at helixsleep.com slash Clavin. Be comfortable as you lie awake asking yourself the big questions like, how do you spell Clavin? It's K L A. I know I get tired of this just stupid joke. K-L-A-V-A-N. Exactly. That was just what I was going to say. Watching the Marxist terrorists who go by the name of Black Lives Matter and the Marxist terrorists who go by the name of Antifa, I've begun to wonder if I really do have to check my privilege, namely the privilege of knowing Marxism sucks. Marxism is misery. Marxism is poverty. Marxism is slavery. Marxism is people being spied on and imprisoned for having opinions that contradict those of the state. We call it cancel culture now, but after you have Marxism, it's called being put in prison. This isn't true sometimes. It's true every time, everywhere there's Marxism. Now, whenever I post about this online, Every single time, someone always says, what about Denmark? What about Sweden? What about Norway? None of these are Marxist countries. Sweden tried socialism for a while in the 1970s and 80s, then dumped it because it almost destroyed the country. And while all these countries do have generous social programs, they are made possible first by their free markets, but also by homogeneous populations who have similar values and trust one another. You can have a huge welfare state if you have that. And they all pay a price. All these countries pay a price for their social programs and innovation and social mobility. The fact is, all countries that work well are not Marxist, and all countries that are Marxist don't work. Why do people keep falling for this slave system? It is inherently a slave system. The trick to selling socialism is convincing ordinary people that their abject suffering is for a greater good, and anyone who refuses to suffer is somehow immoral. If you don't like homeless people crapping on your property, you must be mean and not like the poor. If you don't like having rolling blackouts and forest fires like we have here in California, you want to destroy the environment. You don't like crime, you're racist. Not one of these things is true. Not one of them. Rolling blackouts, forest fires, homeless camps, and crime are creations of bad government policy. Throw out your leftist politicians, the problems magically go away. You are not solving anything or doing even one single virtuous thing by tolerating their virtue signaling incompetence. If you want proof, ask yourself these questions. What problems have leftist politicians actually solved that are worth your suffering, the conditions they create? What have the Antifa and BLM rioters created that give them some policy expertise we need to listen to? If people studied the true history of Marxist governance, they would understand that diehard believers like Bernie Sanders and our college professors are literally insane. They should be in padded cells, howling at the moon, not on college campuses or in the U.S. Senate. Tomorrow is the mailbag. Do not forget this because you want your problem solved. (laughs) So you want to sound like that? Go on dailywire.com, subscribe, and then you can go uh, click the podcast button, click the Andrew Clavin podcast, click the mailbag symbol, and you can ask me anything you want. You can ask about politics, your personal life, religion. All my answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life. Will they change your life for the better? Yeah. How do I know? (laughs) What are you asking me for? Listen, and if you want to send a video question, please do. We love video questions. We love to see you when you're asking the questions. We won't privilege them over other questions. We choose them according to the question. But please keep your videos under a minute because we don't have time to edit them and we can't go over a minute. Um, So 
the election season has now begun, right? It's now summer is over and now it is the actual election season. All of us have been paying attention, but most people haven't. Uh, and, you know, it's really it really is interesting. We're looking. It's clear now to me that this lockdown was a mistake. The locking down the country was a mistake. It wasn't unwise to take 15 days of caution to slow the spread, knowing what we knew then. It was unwise. That was actually a wise thing to do. What was unwise was trusting the left not to seize the moment to crush the great Trump economy by refusing to reopen, to spread to the left was going to spread fear uh, in order to school the nation in mindless compliance. Masks are indeed garbage unless you are in close quarters. They do not protect you backing rioters, rioting over false narrative, all of this stuff the left did. We didn't know they were going to do it, but some people suspected it and they were right. I thought they were paranoid. They were right. It's in some ways, this is truly Trump's America in that he has lanced the boil. If we hadn't elected Donald Trump, we would have gone on with George W. Bush, Obama, George W. Bush, Obama, or somebody just like them, Making the government grow bigger slowly, then making it grow bigger quickly. Making it grow a little more slowly, then making it grow quickly. That's what would have happened. We would have ultimately had their global world where the American worker was screwed, where they were committing suicide out in the middle of the country and no one knew and no one cared. All that would have just proceeded to pace. But now, because of Trump, they have come out of the woodwork. They tell us to put their masks on, but they have taken their masks off. And now we know who they are. And who are they? Well, one thing is when I say this about socialism, that what they have to do is convince you that the bad things that are happening to you are happening because the government is more moral than your desires. That's what they're convincing you of, right? They're convincing you that it's okay for you to have blackouts. It's okay for you to have forest fires. It's okay for it, riots. You deserve, the riots are good. What's the matter? Don't you do? Are you a racist that you don't want people? Do you support systemic racism? And if you start to say, well, you know, I, I don't support these riots. I don't support people burning down cities. I don't support for forest fires for no other reason than that, that environmentalist told you not to clean up the crap in the forest, not to, not to practice forestry so you could keep the forest clean so you wouldn't have these massive, massive forest fires. You're the bad guy. What they have to do, you know, in the Bible, Isaiah, it says, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put... put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That is what the left does. They do it again and again and again. If you don't like being questioned and arrested because you disagreed with the state, you must be a capitalist imperialist running dog. That is basically what they do. They call evil good and good evil. And maybe they believe it. Who cares whether they believe it or not? They're either stupid or dishonest, but at some point they catch on. At some point, the Stasi, which is who these guys are, at some point, even they know the system is, is not working, but they just have to keep going one foot in front of the other. This guy, Jacob Blake, this guy was shot in Kenosha, Wisconsin. As I told you last week, and I'm sure you know by now, that he was shot resisting arrest. He was a guy who had an open warrant on him for sexual molestation. This woman who said he had been abusing him, her, he had been abusing her for years, said she woke up. She had her child in bed with her. She woke up and he was standing over her. He digitally raped her, sniffed his fingers and says, and said, you smell like you've been with other men. So that's the guy. This is the guy we're talking about. And now that people are rioting over this, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are saying that this is the guy they should be celebrating. Kamala Harris went and visited with Jacob Blake and his family. Here she is reacting. Cut six. Senator, how was your meeting with the Senate Really um, wonderful. I mean, they're an incredible family. And what they've endured, and they just do it with such 
dignity and grace. And, you know, they're carrying the weight of a lot of voices on their shoulders. And what was the message that you shared with him? Thank you. Let's have another cover tour. Just one, to express concern for their, you know, well-being and, of course, for their brother and their son's well-being um, and to let them know that they have support. So Blake's uh, family attorney, Ben Crump, said there was a moving moment when Blake told uh, told Harris that he was proud of her. And Harris said she was also proud of him. She was proud of Jacob Blake and how he is working through his pain. Okay, so she's taught. She did anybody. Did she talk to the victim? Did she call the victim? Did anybody say, how was it when this guy came in and digitally raped you? Did anybody say, you know, I'm proud of you for getting through? This is the thing. They're, they're calling evil good and good evil. What happened to Me Too? Remember, this is the woman who said, oh, I believe Kamala, uh, I believe Christine Blasey Ford. This is Kamala Harris, who said she believed the women who accused Joe Biden of making them uncomfortable by putting his hands on her. This is cut 26. Let's just remember the way she treated Christine Blasey Ford when Christine Blasey Ford, without any proof that she had ever met Brett Kavanaugh, accused him of attempted, attempted rape. Cut 26. I want to thank you for your courage. And I want to tell you, I believe you. I believe you. And I believe many Americans across this country believe you. So that's the way when, when it was politically correct when it was politically useful to believe in Me Too, to believe in women's accusations, suddenly she did. Now, suddenly, she believes the rapist. She basically, she's proud of the rapist. She proudly, alleged, alleged rapist, I have to say, he pleaded not guilty. The New York Times ran an article, you know, just basically trying to make this guy a saint. They called him a rare survivor of police abuse, of a, of a police shooting. He was the rare survivor. This is the New York Times. Demonstrations against police violence have been filled with the chance of victims' names. Not criminals' names, not people who are resisting arrest, but victims' names. George Floyd. <laughs> I won't even say it. Breonna Taylor, Tamir Rice, Eric Garner. In recent days, a new name, Jacob Blake, has been called out in protests across the country. In that list, though, Mr. Blake, a black man who was repeatedly shot in the back by a white police officer in Kenosha, Wisconsin, is also set apart. Unlike so many of the people who have become grim symbols for a movement, Mr. Blake survived and has begun to tell his own story. Let's take a look, actually. He sent out a video. He's telling his own story. This is quoted in the Times articles. Cut seven. I got staples in my back, staples in my damn stomach. You do not want to have to deal with this, man. 24 hours, every 24 hours, it's pain. It's nothing but pain. It hurts to breathe. It hurts to sleep. It hurts to move from side to side. It hurts to eat. Please, I'm telling you, change our lives out there. We can stick together, make some money, make make everything easier for our people out here, man, because there's so much time that has been wasted. Now, it sounds to me like he regrets his life a little. That's what it sounds like to me. It sounds to me saying go out and make some money, get a job, do do play play the game by the by the rules. That's what it sounds like to me. But reading the New York Times, you'd never know what why he's saying this stuff. So then they tell you the story. A Kenosha officer, and they named the officer, fired seven times on August 30 at Mr. Blake, who was trying to get into a car. That, that's why, you know, the poor man was just trying to get into a car. It wasn't that the woman who had previously accused him of rape and pr- previously had accused him of abusing her for years 
had called 911 saying the guy was violating a restraining order in his house. That's what happened, right? That's what happened. The cops came. He resisted arrest. They said he had a knife. I'm not sure yet whether the guy had the knife in the hand or was reaching for it in the car, but he reached in to the car and the police opened fire. But if you read the New York Times, he was he was just trying getting into his car while black. That's all it was. He was just trying to get into his car while black. Here's the New York Times. Of people shot by officers from the nation's 50 largest police departments between 2010 and 2016, about two-thirds survived. So I thought it was I thought he was a rare survivor, but apparently not. Finally, we get to graph 15, paragraph 15. By video conference from his hospital bed, Mr. Blake pleaded not guilty on Friday to three domestic charges against him, including a sexual assault count. That's it. That's what they tell you. The charges were filed in July. On the day Mr. Blake was shot, the woman who reported the assault called 911 saying that Mr. Blake was at her home. The Kenosha police said they were trying to arrest Mr. Blake when the shooting occurred. That's 15 graphs in. Now, I, I don't have the dead tree paper, so I don't know, but I'm assuming that's beneath the fold, if not uh, after the jump. Remember, most people only read the first couple of paragraphs and the headline of the story, and the New York Times knows that, and almost nobody turns to the, what's called the jump in newspapers, which is where it says, please go to page 15C or whatever. So, the, you know, the whole waking up with your child thing. So it's, it's calling, in order to do what they do, in order to convince you, to convince you that they're bad, destructive policies that ruin lives, that ruin, uh, you know, economies, that ruin countries, that ruin freedom, in order to convince you that you have to do that, they have to convince you that good is evil and evil is good. And it's not just with this crime. I mean, here's, here's Ilan Omar talking about these riots that have been going on in Portland for 100 days and in cities around the country still. There's now video in Pittsburgh of people being uh, bullied at their dinner table, at their restaurant tables. Here's Ilan Omar talking about it. We are in the midst of an ongoing uprising over centuries of racial neglect and oppression. We can't talk about the protests in Minneapolis or Kenosha or sports teams nationwide without first looking inward. We maintain a system that grinds millions into desperate poverty a system that doesn't provide the most basic necessities like food, shelter, and medicine. So this is, this is a, this woman is, is a terrible person. This is a woman who fled Somalia, was in a refugee camp in Kenya for four years, Kenya for four years until the U S rescued her. The ingratitude is absolutely stunning. It is absolutely stunning, but again, calling evil good, and good evil. I mean, that's essentially what she's doing. She's telling you that this is an uprising. It's an uprising in this country that grinds people into poverty. It doesn't, it doesn't just let them fall into poverty. It grinds them into poverty. You know, this, this is amazing stuff. It's an amazing distortion of reality, but it is that distortion talked about in the Bible where they call evil good and good evil. And it is, you know, it, I, I think it's inherent in people who drift away from a sense of moral truth that there is such a thing as moral truth. Nobody says that anybody has an absolute certainty about moral truth, but people who drift away from the, the idea that there is moral truth, that our conscience reflects something real, that we are moving toward that truth, that we can move toward that truth. Anyone who drifts away from it drifts into evil because ultimately you forgive anything. And that's where the Democrat Party has gone. This is a, a stunning, stunning uh, kind of attempt to win our hearts by convincing us that we're the bad guys and the bad guys are the good guys. Let me ask you this. Do you want to look like me? And I know what you're thinking. No, please, please, not that. You got to keep your hair, guys. Keep your hair. Because, I, you know, I'm telling you, other, if you look like this, you have to have a special box where your hair is in going, let me out, let me out. 
So much of our identity is wrapped up in our hair, from how it feels after getting a fresh cut to the way it's perfectly styled before going out. That's why when we get into our 20s and 30s and start noticing the first signs of hair loss, it feels like panic time. Two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35. The best way to prevent hair loss is to do something about it while you still have hair left. Of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there, you may have tried them before, but uh, probably never for this price. Keeps treatments typically take between four to six months to see results, so it's important to act fast. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Clavin to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Clavin. Tell them you don't want to look like K-L-A-V-A-N. You know, Bill McGurn has this column in the journal today where he says basically everything has come down to using Trump as an excuse for calling evil good and good evil. And McGurn says not even Donald Trump's most ardent supporters would deny that he has often disregarded norms of political behavior from the derisive nicknames he uses to diminish political rivals to ill-advised tweets such as the one suggesting we delay the election. So let us stipulate that the president is a serial norm breaker and it's perfectly fair to call him out on it. But Mr. Trump's foes break plenty of norms themselves, justifying it because of Trump and then adding a lecture about civility on top. Can anyone imagine a serious news public? uh, he, He says he says, so long as a norm violation works against Mr. Trump or his supporters, it gets a pass. That's mostly because the institution that should be holding violators accountable, the press, has abandoned even the pretense of objectivity with anything Trump. So last week, we covered this disgraceful and despicable Atlantic story by Atlantic editor Jeffrey Goldberg, where he had these anonymous sources, what I was parodying in the opening of the show. He had these anonymous sources saying that Trump called uh, soldiers who had lost their lives in battle suckers and losers. Okay, now a number of people who are in the meetings are who will come out and do give their names are discrediting the story, saying it isn't true. Among them, John Bolton. And I use him specifically because Uh, He hates Trump and because he uh, would say anything to get him, but he will not lie. And John Bolton's an honest man. When he was asked if Trump was racist, he said, no, I never saw that. And now he's asked about this story. And here's what he said. Cut 20. According to what that article said, uh, the president made the disparaging remarks about our soldiers, the people buried at the Anmarn Cemetery. Uh, in connection with the decision for him not to go to the ceremony that was planned that afternoon. And and that's that was simply false. I don't know who told the author that, but that was false. So that's devastating. That is devastating. This means that Jeffrey Goldberg has is, has, is doing exactly what the New York Times did and won the Pulitzer Prize. The Washington Post won the Pulitzer Prize for sources who hated Trump and were trying to get him publishing those anonymous sources. What they said when they slipped him the information they were trying to get out into the press. The reason you don't use anonymous sources solely, the reason a reporter does not do that is because everybody's got an axe to grind in Washington. Everybody in politics has an axe to grind. If I don't know who the source is, if I don't know the name of the source, right, I don't know what his axe is. I can't tell, well, well, okay, you know, he has no reason to say that. Like John Bolton, I just showed you John Bolton. We know he doesn't like Donald Trump. We, he's wrote a whole book trying to take out Donald Trump. So we know that when he says Donald Trump didn't do something bad, we can trust him. We can kind of believe in him. That's why we have, uh, you don't use only anonymous sources. Here is Goldberg's amazing excuse, cut 19. 
we are not going to be intimidated by the president of the United States. We're going to do our jobs. And I, I think that is true for a large number of outlets. His intense frustration, which comes out in these in these outbursts, um, comes from the fact that unlike dictators in other countries, he cannot simply shut down media outlets that uh, that he doesn't like. And and so it's our duty to continue to pursue the truth, no matter what he says about us. What garbage? What garbage? And Brian Stelter says, well, you know who the sources is, so we trust you, don't we? No, we don't trust him. Why should we? It's the Atlantic. The Atlantic has gone down the drain. You know, the Obama Justice Department prosecuted more government leakers under the 1917 Espionage Act than all prior administrations combined. They came after, they uh, went after the phone records of AP reporters. They went after James Rosen of Fox News. Uh, you know, they, they did all this stuff to truly, truly intimidate reporters. Nothing from the reporters. The press loved them, loved them. And so suddenly Donald Trump, who criticizes the press, Suddenly, he's the bad guy. I just want to play this one. Rick Grinnell, who has done a lot of different, has a lot of different jobs in the administration. He was the first gay uh, cabinet member. He was announcing a big economic deal between uh, Serbia and uh, Kosovo, including uh, a deal that would that says Serbia would move its embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. Now, uh, and Kosovo and Israel have moved to normalize ties and establish diplomatic relations. This is a big story because. Uh, back in the 1990s, late 1990s, we had to bomb these people. They were fighting each other so badly. They were killing each other so much. Uh, this, this is an intense place. This is a place where a lot of trouble comes from. World War I started in these places. So Grinnell comes out to talk about this, and a reporter asks him about gay rights, and Grinnell just loses it. Last year, you kicked off the Trump administration push to decriminalize homosexuality. Yeah, I'm going to just talk about Kosovo and Serbia. I don't know if you can find it on a map. But this is atrocious. I have to tell you guys, you might be too young to understand what this issue is about. Maybe the older journalists should step up and say, this is a big deal. This is a big issue. I I'm astounded at what happens in Washington, D.C., and especially in this room. I, I got to tell you, get substantive. Maybe it's too complicated of an issue for you all. Rick, respectfully, but, this is the first time we've had the opportunity to speak with these individuals. Okay, but today's about Kosovo and Serbia. Let's take a little time and talk about this 21-year issue, Peter. I mean, 21-year issue, we're getting the same questions that are all politics. I don't, you guys don't understand what's happening outside of Washington, D.C. People aren't listening to you anymore. It, it's really a crisis in journalism. You know, it's, it's true people aren't listening. More people trust Donald Trump talking about the Chinese flu than trust the media. And that's obviously a big media fail. You know, if you're like me, you feel like, you know, the, your privacy, you don't really think about your privacy maybe that much because you think, well, I have nothing to hide or whatever, you know, who, who would bother with me? And you don't think your personal information is worth anything to cyber criminals. But researchers have compiled an overview of the average price of stolen personal data for sale on the dark web. Online banking logins cost an average of 35 bucks. The range of documents and account details needed to commit identity theft cost $1,285. The bulk of the stolen information comes from large-scale data breaches, which you can get caught up in, to, in. It's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. You could miss certain identity threats by just monitoring your credit, but LifeLock will help you out there. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats, like your social security number for sale on the dark web. If they detect your information has potentially been compromised, they'll send you an alert. I've already gotten a couple of them from them. It's very helpful. No one can prevent all identity theft. 
have to monitor all transactions at all businesses. But you can find out if your information is on the dark web. Get your free dark web scan at lifelock.com slash scan. Pick the plan that's right for you and save up to 25% off your first year with promo code Claven. That's a free scan at lifelock.com slash scan and 25% off with promo code Claven. And you might say, well, can you give me a scan that tells me how to spell Claven? And it's just, I'll tell you, it's K-L-A-V-A-N. Uh, there are no E's in Claven. I just make it look like this. Uh, all right. So why should people at this point trust the press? Why should they trust the, our institutions? Why should they trust their authorities? They're telling us to wear masks. If you look on the box of the mask, it tells you this won't protect you from anything except spittle. In other words, why dentists wear masks? Because it's, it's when you spit, you're close to an open wound or a mouth, you know, you don't want to spit into it. I mean, wearing it on, out, outside on the street is ridiculous. And look at the rules. Look at the way the left treats the rules that they make. The shutdown doesn't apply to race riots, but it does apply to church. And listen to this. Watch this montage of how Democrats respect the rules themselves. Cut four. As it turns out, it was a setup. So I take responsibility for falling for a setup. I think that they owe, uh, that this salon owes me an apology. You went to the gym yesterday and Twitter lost its mind. I don't get it, but we'll move on with our lives. The gyms are all closed now, Alice. I did not for a moment think there was anything problematic because I knew the dynamics. And again, I have to stay healthy so I can make the decisions for the people of this city. Did Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham play by her own rules when she ordered non-essential stores to shut down and lectured all New Mexicans to stay home, a non-essential business open so she could buy jewelry? Where's the first lady? Has she engaged in non-essential travel? What is your response to people who say the stay-at-home order and non-essential travel bans aren't being abided by your family? So I'm just not going to answer that question. It's inappropriate. And I find it reprehensible. This is classic Marxism, by the way. This is classic Marxist thought. If the, pro- the problem is you, these people are stipulating, the rioters are stipulating, that they know something about virtue you don't. They are burning down your city because they are good and you are bad. Your society is bad. It grinds people into poverty. This is classic Marxist thinking. If you think you're happy under capitalism, that's false consciousness. They know your consciousness better than they than you do. Therefore, they don't have to follow the rules. If you guys get fooled by this again, it's just a, it's just 50 years since we saw this stuff collapse. It, if we get fooled by it again, well, it's, it's on us. It really is. All right. Let us uh, talk about getting home insurance. You got to protect your home, right? American Home Shield is the largest provider of home insurance. They've paid more in home warranty claims than any other company. That's added up to more than two billion bucks in the last five years. So these are people who know what they're doing. And if they can't repair a covered item, they'll replace it. This is America's most preferred home warranty, more than 1.8 million members. American Home Shield members get more. More coverage options and fewer exclusions. Coverage available for an unlimited number of eligible electronics like tablets, flat screen TVs, and more. You get local help no matter where you live with a nationwide network of 17,000 licensed professional contractors. They can find the right pro in your area to fix your problem. And coverage is available no matter how old your systems and appliances 
are. This is, uh, I've gone on their website. I have searched for insurance. It's really easy to do. It, is, it, is, it will actually just make the whole thing, the whole experience a lot more pleasurable than it could be. So go to ahs.com slash Clavin today to save 50 bucks and start protecting your home and budget from inevitable breakdowns. ahs.com slash Clavin. That's ahs.com slash Clavin for 50 bucks off any plan. American Home Shield, be sure with the shield. Limitations and exclusions apply. See the plans for detail. And also see the plans for how to spell Clavin. You were too to smart that. to be acting this dumb. <laughs> no, no, cer- certainly not. A lot of ways you can watch and listen to our podcast, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Facebook, and of course, dailywire.com. But now the Daily Wire is on Apple TV and Roku, so you can watch on your TV. You have to be an insider member to watch live, so head over to dailywire.com slash Clavin and use code WATCH to get 15% off your membership purchase plus a leftist tears tumbler. That's dailywire.com slash Clavin to get 15% off with code WATCH and download the Daily Wire on your Apple TV and Roku today. And that means you can be in the mailbag tomorrow. You want to be there. All your problems will be solved. So while we're talking about the press, we have to start talking about the election. Now the election is underway. The the campaigns are underway for sure. And I mean, this is the traditional start of the campaign season. So Joe Biden gave a press conference. First, first Donald Trump gave a press conference. They hammered him. They get, you know, you know the questions. I'm not even going to play anything from that. You know what it is. Like, how terrible are you? Are you a Nazi? Like, is there a difference between Hitler? Did Hitler really kill himself? Or has he been reincarnated as you? Those are the questions that Donald Trump gets. Joe Biden <laughs> gives a press conference. So help me. So help me. He gives a press conference. And the first question is from the Atlantic, asking him about the Atlantic. But we just put together a montage of the questions he was asked. This is, it's unbelievable. Listen to this. Last night, President Trump mocked you for wearing a mask and said that this is a sign that you must have some, quote, big issues. He says this even though he knows that, according to scientists and public health officials, wearing masks saves lives. He asked you about another thing the president said last night. He once again suggested to his supporters that they should consider voting twice if they're in one of those states that can allow you to request an absentee ballot, say, fill that out and then go try voting again in person. State officials have said it's a felony. When you hear these remarks, suckers, losers, recoiling from amputees, what does it tell you about President Trump's soul? You said today is the angriest you've, you've been as a presidential candidate. Um, but you said you're trying to restrain yourself. And there are a lot of people out there who are supporting you or inclined to not vote for the president who would say, why isn't Joe Biden angrier? (laughs) How does he do it? How does Joe field those questions? How does he stand up to the questions about uh, his judgment of President Trump's soul? It's really hard to hard to know how he, you know, how where he gets the mental acuity, where he has the mental acuity and the you know, at his age, that he has the, you know, the stamina to stand up to that kind of hammering. Here's Trump's response, uh, cut 25. I watched the interview with sleepy Joe Biden, and he didn't ask questions. You didn't ask questions like that. Read the questions. Yes. They were like meant for a child. Those questions were meant for a child. Smiles on faces of reporters, not like you and you. They were smiles on the reporters. What do you think? Take a look at those questions that they ask him. They were not meant for a grown-up. They were meant for a child. Fact check true, I got to say. I mean, that 
that really is, they really were questions for a child. And I'll tell you something else. It makes me wonder, it makes me wonder what they think of us. You know, how stupid do they think we are? Do they think they're invisible? Do they think we look at that and think like, I didn't see anything. The same questions as when they asked Donald Trump. Maybe they, what they think is, oh, well, you know, their opinion of Donald Trump, it must be the right one because they're the press after all. I mean, how deluded are they? I guess, I guess they think it's going to work on somebody if it only, I think this is, is what they think actually. If it only works on one voter, if it only works on 10 voters, if it only works on a thousand voters, maybe they swing a state. Listen to why they're doing it though. Biden was doing one of those virtual events where he got where kids asked him questions and he got scripted questions from the kids were asking him scripted questions. Here's his response. Cut 22. What will your administration do to help them give them that chance? Thank you. Move it up here. (laughs) You know, there used to be a basic bargain in this country. Workers shared in the wealth their work helped create. So move it up here is move the prompter, the teleprompter up. He can't answer a question, a scripted question without the teleprompter. And maybe somebody's typing it in as he speaks. He can't answer a scripted question without the teleprompter. And he can't even keep from saying, you got to move it up here because I can't see. I mean, he looks like he's dead. You know, I mean, senescent was one thing, but dead, you know. It really, it really is something. Molly Hemingway had a really interesting piece over the weekend at The Federalist. It's called The Media Are Lying About the Election Again. And I have to praise Molly's persistence in continuing to keep uh, the media as a plural noun. I finally caved in, you know, the media are uh, lying about the election. I finally caved in. I came to believe that the media has now become single, a singular noun. So I just say the media is lying. So here's, here's what she says. Election 2020 is shaping up to be deja vu all over again for the news media. In an effort to help push Joe Biden over the finish line, the Washington establishment is going all in on the easily refuted idea that there has been no change in the presidential race over the last three weeks. She then quotes a number of stories with two months to go, a steady presidential race. That's from the Cook Political Report, the latest polls, the great non-tightening. OK, that's from The New York Times. In a time of disruption and unrest, the presidential race has changed little. The Washington Post. Now, this is what I've been seeing in the polls as well. So here's what Molly says. After having botched the entire news coverage of the 2016 election, where all the experts repeatedly told the American public that Donald Trump had little to no chance of being the Republican nominee and even less chance of being elected president, corporate media are back at it again, insisting all is well with the Biden campaign and the Democrats are safely on cruise control to take the White House and the Senate. Now, just just to remind you what this was like here from our friends at Newsbusters, right? Is they have like a thing where they take you back in time, a flashback thing. Here exactly four years ago today is the report on CBS at what the Electoral College is going to look like for Trump versus Hillary. Cut one. You'll hear a lot about Ohio, of course. You'll hear about Florida. He's got to win those states. He's got a narrow path. He can do it, Mm -hmm. but he's got to start picking them off. But, Anthony, the way you've got this now, likely 341 electoral votes. For Hillary Clinton, you only need 270 to win. That suggests a blowout. It, it does at this point. You know, it's not over, but it does. You know, it's even the case now where we've started, started to see some reliably Republican states, places like Georgia, places like Arizona, that just don't vote Democratic, have started to get close. And Clinton is within striking distance and there. 
<laughs> All right. So that was four years ago today. So here's what Molly says. Molly says, here's the truth. They're not telling you. It's Molly Hemingway at The Federalist. She says, Biden has little enthusiasm for his candidate. He's taking on an incumbent president with significant first term accomplishments who has extremely energized supporters, to put it mildly. He had two ma- Biden had two major opportunities in August to generate some real excitement for his ticket and collect voters in must win states for Democrats who had abandoned the ticket for Trump. In 2016, Biden whiffed on both counts, picking a far-left California senator who has the farthest-left voting record of her colleagues, then hosting a convention and giving an acceptance speech where he did nothing to take on the ascending left that potential voters he needs to win have serious concerns and doubts about. By contrast, Trump and the Republicans aggressively went after traditionally Democrat Party voters. She says, here's the cold reality. The media are for some reason refusing to tell people as the country rounds Labor Day and this campaign really gets into high gear. The race is effectively tied today. Trump has momentum and Biden is going to have to campaign hard, energize his voters and earn it if he hopes to unseat the incumbent. She takes the polls and she shows how Biden's lead has narrowed to within the margin of error. And in many um, uh, battleground states, it has virtually disappeared. And, you know, that analysis just seems to strike more with my common sense. And it's interesting because if she's wrong and if my common sense is wrong, then we've lost the country. The country is, has been lost to this race theory and this you know, idea, this systemic uh, race idea that is basically a front for Marxism. So we, if, if Molly is wrong and this common sense uh, narrative is not true, it, it means a lot. It means we really did lose the country and the culture got away from us. Politico has done something revolutionary. Politico has actually hired reporters to cover the states that reporters never go to, right? And they say this, while national polls have generated a portrait of Biden holding a commanding lead, it's something of a mirage. In the swing states that matter, it's trench warfare. Biden's advantage, according to the Real Clear Politics polling average, is within the margin of error in half of the eight states. And Trump is a president whose support has been notoriously difficult for pollsters to survey. They say, consider this fact. From July 2016 uh, until Election Day in the three Rust Belt states that Trump unexpectedly picked off, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, 94 public polls were released. Trump led in just three of them. You know, it is an interesting thing when you lose the a press that you can respect and believe in. It's, it is a terrible, terrible thing for a free country to have the press go bad. The press is broken bad. That's really true. They've really gone. Uh, they, they were doing it before. Using Trump as an excuse, as Bill McGurn said, is just an excuse because they did treat Bush this way and they did treat Obama, a, a terribly incompetent and corrupt president. They treated him like he was the second coming. They said they said as much. So when you lose the press, you lose the ability to trust information. And I've said this before, that you start to believe anything because you have nothing to know. You don't know where the facts lie. But common sense does tell me that this race is narrowing. It's very early still. It's still early in the game. And it's going to be really interesting to see when the votes come in, just how far off or how correct these polls were, because then we'll know. Then we'll know a little bit more about the truth of this country. You know, I want to make a recommendation, an old film uh, called The Lives of Others. Not that old, it's 2006, but it was a German film. If you've never seen it, uh, and it, um, it won the Oscar for Best Foreign Picture, I believe, in its year. And it's a, a film about the Stasi, the secret police uh, in East Germany. 
And one of the reasons I just find it so fascinating is because the picture is a good picture. It's over two hours long, so that's a little long. But it, it's a little sentimental and a, a little bit of a romance, but I like that. It, it, it's a movie movie. They made it a movie movie. But it genuinely shows you what true believers were like in the, the socialist East Germany. And I don't know, except for the fact that they had power and they had this incredible secret police, I don't see the difference in attitude between the socialists today and the socialists then. They believe that there's no private sphere. They believe, you know, they'll actually write articles saying if you won't date a man who says he's a woman, and if you're a man who won't date a man who says he's a woman, that's hateful. That's hateful. You know, why aren't you turned on by that? They're amazing. They don't believe in a private sphere. They don't believe that you should be able to disagree with the system because the system is the good thing. And anything that disagrees with that is bad. And like I said from the start, they want to convince you that your misery, your slavery, your poverty, your chaos in your city, that if you don't like that, there's something wrong with you because that is in service to a greater good, the good of the collective. And it's true with these masks as well. When they tell you, well, yeah, you're sacrificing your freedom, but it's for the good of all. And Every single time it turns out to be true. The masks outdoors, I believe, are useless. You know, there's no reason for us to have rolling blackouts in California. There's no reason to have riots every day in a city that is absolutely absurd. There's no reason to have crime spiking like it's crime, like it's spiking in New York and other cities. This is only happening because of bad policy. And it's about time we pointed the finger at the leftist governors and the leftist mayors who are allowing this stuff to happen and say, no, it's not us. It's you. All right. Back tomorrow with the mailbag. Say goodbye to your problems. They will be solved. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review. And also tell your friends to subscribe, too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Edited by Adam Saivitz and Danny D'Amico. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, or head and makeup, is by Nika Geneva. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental, and that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen.